0: KQED.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel,
2: I'm Kali, and I'm Jamidra,
1: and we're the hosts of The Cooler.
3: This week, in honor of the PBS slash BBC premiere of Les Miserables, we talk about why your favorite
2: period dramas are likely wildly inaccurate. And we're also going to be hearing from a multi-threat comedian and actress who you'll probably recognize from Orange is the New Black.
1: And I will be walking you all through the bonkers AF plot of Britney Spears' upcoming musical. What? Yes, it's crazy. Crazy mp 3 which is another one of her songs. <laughs>
3: In this landscape of diversity, hashtag Oscar so white, Mm. what is the one corner of TV and film where it is still okay to be
2: completely white? Oh, I think I know. I think I know. Hmm. Take my hand, fair maiden, and accompany me across the moor.
1: Okay, (laughs) Emily Bronte.
2: Why did I do a bad British accent? Yeah, how did she do a bad British accent?
1: You're literally British. Yes. My guess was mm. anything with Nazis because mm, yeah. we know how they true, roll. True, true, and the lineup at the Country Music Awards. Too Ooh. real. Uh,
2: no lies found. Shots fired. Magnifying glass. Shots fired. I'm
1: just a truth teller.
2: <laughs> if you've got a problem with Miranda Lambert, you should just come out and say it. Her music's not that good.
3: Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ease away from the country music Uh awards because I don't want those tweets. No. However, period dramas. You guys are onto something. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I knew it. I knew it. You know what? Period dramas are the one place where we don't bat an eye if we watch a film or a television show and the cast is completely white because... No people of color existed ever in the 1700s and in the 1800s. We did not show up until 1953. That's how that happened. They weren't
1: invented yet.
3: We were not invented yet. It's like that dial on the washing machine. Whitest whites. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I've been watching Outlander. It's a series on stars that's based on this book. And it's all about this woman who goes back in time. She's married, but then she falls in love with a hot Scot. I mean, like... Okay, be
1: real. It's about sex. It is.
3: So basically... Outlander is the cable version of the slutty novel at the grocery store. So you know how you see the Fabio cover? Oh, yes. It's painted and they're just kind of like bosoms are, you know, on display. Mm-hmm.
1: The C-cups overflow it.
3: They <laughs> overflow it. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. What I'm not into is that it took me, I think, two seasons to see one blackface. So You're like, there you are. There okay. you are. And then recently, all this buzz has been around the Les Misérables, mm. mm. the new know?
2: the new PBS adaptation, right? The new right?
3: PBS slash BBC. You got to put that in there. Your people gonna get mad.
2: Hey, listen. You know where the money's coming from? It's <laughs> <laughs> not the BBC. <laughs> Times are tight. in I Britain, will say, right?
3: David Oyelowo had a quote about that in an interview he did with IndieWire about unwhitewashing period dramas. Unwhitewashing. Unwhitewashing. Like is it is a thing. It's a new thing. We'll hashtag it. And what he said was, listen. Something very important to me was the American distribution. I wanted it to be on a channel that was worthy of the work that everyone was putting into it. And so I had a hand in it going to PBS Masterpiece. Anything that takes me away from my kids for any period of time better be worth it. So he was like, BBC. Not worth it.
2: Well, PBS, you, you Come through. cannot blame him when the British have been obsessed with producing and exporting period dramas for a very long time. Yes. And you can't blame, like, especially black British actors for being like, what am I going to play? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. And that's why you get, I think, such like a wave of black British talent coming over. Mm-hmm. Idris, Lenny James of The Walking Dead, David Harewood from Homeland, mm-hmm. like, they're playing parts that they wouldn't be offered back in Britain.
3: And he talks about that in the same interview with IndieWire. He talks about growing up on these period dramas. He loved them, but he would never be cast in them because he didn't see people who looked like him. So he had a hand in producing Les Miserables and he had a hand in making sure that it got in front of some eyeballs who would appreciate it because clearly y'all Brits don't. Absolutely <laughs> not. It would seem. I realized when I read this interview and I realized when I heard the term unwhitewashing as it relates to period dramas is that that's probably why I never really have gotten into period dramas because you watch it and it's a little awkward as a black person. It's like that question when they're like, what period of time would you go back into if you could? None of them. <laughs> Just like none of them. And what this article uncovered for me was that it's not that black people and people of color didn't exist in many capacities. It's that Because there isn't sort of like explicit documentation of like photographs or video, it's easy to kind of like paper over it and whitewash the history. And so you don't get a lot of representation unless you dig. And mm-hmm. so what happens is when you do get people behind the camera who care enough to do the research and consult historians, then you start getting characters like Inspector Gaveur, who David is going to play in Les Miserables. Did I say that right? I'm working on my French in this episode. It sounded good to me.
1: Okay. <laughs> I have a French minor, which I have not used once since college. So A+. He,
2: he's playing Inspector Russell Crowe, right? Just checking, just checking.
1: As you guys know, I recap PBS period dramas. Yes, you do. For KQED. Victoria Downton and Poldark and I was thinking about when people of color have popped up on those shows
3: It oh, do tell you're
1: the expert So in Victoria in the season finale from last year, this little girl whose name was Sarah she's a West African Egbado princess of the Yoruba people. Oh come with her. And she was orphaned because of warfare then she was sold into slavery and in a remarkable twist of events. <laughs> She becomes the goddaughter of Queen Victoria. And this is a true story. Prince Albert was very rude to her. Of course. I think he was being racist. The people who read my recap said...
3: I was being racist Ooh. for saying that. You know how it goes. You're oh, racist for you're racist for accusing him of being racist. It's 2019.
2: Sir. That's a fact.
3: <laughs> they flipped it and reversed it on me. <laughs> I Missy Elliott is I proud. Hope <laughs> they didn't use the term reverse racism because it's
2: not a thing.
1: They probably did. It was a year ago, so who knows? But <laughs> you that, put it behind
3: you? Yes. And then this
1: season there was a black character on the show and. His race wasn't a part of the narrative at all. It was not mentioned. He was just a chartist who wanted reform. And mm-hmm. I liked that. And on Downton, there was Ooh. a black character. It created quite a to do. a frisson. <laughs> you know how Dowager Countess is famous for saying, like, what is a weekend? <laughs> it was like everyone on that show was like, what is melanin? <laughs> like, what is that? What is that? They were not familiar. I'm confused. But he was on that show for like three episodes.
3: So wait, so uh, the confession, as I sit in a public media station, saw very few episodes of Downton. So you're saying the cast was sort of like, was it his race an issue within the show or was it an issue for viewers?
1: I don't think it was an issue for viewers or the actors. It was more the characters clutching their pearls of like, oh, our heiress niece is interested in a black gentleman.
3: Also, now you buried the lead now. Yes. Okay.
1: They're in a rowboat, they kiss. (laughs) It's a whole thing. Mm. He's a lounge singer, which means he's had sex before.
3: Hello. (laughs) Of course.
2: So what about you, Carly? Did you grow up on period dramas? I totally did. And whiter than white, all of these period dramas. Any time there was like a Shakespeare production on TV and there was a black dude cast in it, there would always be this like <gasps> general clutching of pearls. People would say things like it's political correctness gone mad. We gave you Othello. What else do you want to But this us? is the crazy <laughs> thing, right? So it's like cast a black guy as Hamlet. People are like, oh God, oh God. And Shakespeare is often used as an anchor for this stuff. But the batshit insane thing to me is that even when you have a black character, like Othello, <laughs> they kept getting white guys to no, play they didn't. him. That is ridiculous. Famous depiction, Lawrence Olivier, back in the day, literally put on blackface oh to play Othello. No. And
3: everyone was like, this is great. Good work. You mentioned Lawrence Olivier. And for some reason, I started thinking about the Tinker, Mamets watching it as a kid because I was forced to do so every single Easter I was like hmm this don't look like the books I've seen for mm-hmm. Egyptians like I feel like they don't have enough melanin here Egypt is in Africa right I mean, it's in yeah, Africa right?
1: all these people are black. so that. how
3: did the white people get because I'm just confused and I think that's the major point though it's like these period dramas that don't include people of color they kind of reinforce this idea that there were no contributions or people didn't exist or it was just sort of like a world where people of color were just not a part of it which is not the case huh. and David Oyelowo talks about this Again, same IndieWire article. Shout out. Um, (laughs) He says, quote, The excuse has been that it's not historically accurate, and that's just not true. If you're an actual, genuine student of history and not just coming from an ignorant kind of purely white lens in relation to European history, you know that people of color have been in France, in the U.K., all over Europe for centuries and not just as slaves. And that was a double snap in case you didn't Mm -hmm. hear that. He's like, read
2: a book. Read a book, (laughs) read a book. But it's so interesting that even when there is this evidence in front of people in the source material, Like There is totally this general reluctance to look at it for what it is. There was an adaptation of Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights back in 2012 by this amazing female director called Andrea Arnold. And she cast a black guy as Heathcliff because in Bronte's novel, it references his dark skin. Mm, And even then, people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. (laughs) But it's literally
3: in the book. that That is the sort of like epitome of selective reading. Selective processing, selective interpretation. You're like, oh, it says dark skin. However, maybe an olive. We're talking right.
1: <laughs> so, the excuse that he's talking about in terms of period dramas, oh, they just weren't there. So, that's why we're not including them in the cast. Even without that excuse, people don't want people of color to play characters that they identify with. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Hermione where in a mm-hmm. stage play oh, they cast a black woman as Hermione and people lost their minds. Or
2: even ruin the Hunger Games. People were like, well, I never thought of that girl as a black girl. I exactly. am so confused. Mm. How, did, or, or, <laughs> How or can I, I relate
3: now? <laughs> what was the famous tweet? Like I I was less sad when she died in the Ooh, film. Yeah, there was uh-huh. a famous That's tweet. Bad. Yeah, yeah. There was oh. a famous tweet. Someone said, some trolls said that they somehow were less sad when she died in the film because she was black. And then, of course, Spider-Man recently, the new Miles Morales Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Verse, yeah. Spider-Verse. I remember when that was announced that the new Spider-Man was going to be black or biracial, that people were like, oh! How dare you? What? What? <laughs>
1: Not my Spider-Man. A man who is half Spider but
2: cannot be a person half of colour? Half the back up. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, like, when you brought up this topic, Jimidra, this is the first thing that leapt into my mind about the hypocrisy of all this stuff. And it lies with science fiction. Mm. When there are people of colour cast in science fiction movies, specifically, like, beloved franchises, oh, people lose their minds. It's like, oh, I could imagine the Wookiee and the purple alien with bumps on his head, but you are trying to to make me watch an Asian woman on that screen? But think about what that means for people of color. We didn't exist in the past or the future. <laughs> so
3: we, we've got a brief window here. The right? lack
2: of imagination
3: is staggering. So I guess the question is when you don't have something that's based on a book, like what do you do? Like when you're trying to recreate a period drama, what can you do? Mm, maybe you can... Research, read a book, a little history, consult a historian. And so, I don't know if you guys, are you guys familiar with the television show Harlots? Yes. Mm. yes. No. So it's I, a sexy show a about sexy, sexy ladies. <laughs> so I was not familiar with the show Harlots, but I'll give you a description and I'll let you know what I'm sold. Mm-hmm. So the show is basically about two warring brothels. Oh, I'm in. And you're in. <laughs> Two warring brothels back in the day in Britain, ancient Britain, like 1700s or something like that. Ancient Britain. Britain. (laughs) 1700s. They consulted historians. They looked at the census and the census noted that there were like 20,000 black people living in Britain back in 1780. And more than half of them were living in London. And that's where the show is based. So it's like, hey, if we have a show with all white people, no blacks wildly inaccurate because mm-hmm. this city was a lot more mixed yeah, it's not how it would have been yeah so that's what they did so if you're gonna i would say if my advice to you if you're working on a period drama consult history or consult a historian something like that so that you can sort of like put together a better picture
1: yeah and ideally the showrunner or the writers or whoever won't have this prejudice even if it's not like racism mm-hmm. i think of girls the show Lena Dunham created a modern story of four friends in New York City, a very diverse place, and they're all white. And so that speaks to like her myopic view. Maybe that's true to her life. Maybe she doesn't have diverse friends. And that reminds me of a question that was asked of Heidi Montag of the Hills. (laughs) Why
2: did this? One of the great thinkers of our times. Yes, yes. Sharp left.
1: This is very relevant. (laughs) The Hills is being rebooted, and they asked Heidi about diversity, because all those girls are still white on the show. And this was her answer, and it is wild. Buckle up. Oh, Lord.
2: Do you wish that there was a little more diversity represented?
0: I, I, we don't all look the same. I mean, Adrena has darker hair. I feel like Misha has darker hair.
3: (gasps) I blame the interviewer because who expected anything less than this?
1: I don't blame the interviewer. I thank them for that (laughs) moment because the fact that Heidi thinks diversity (sighs) means hanging out with brunettes... That's wild.
3: Oh, but I, why am I not surprised though? Oh my god. You shouldn't be. Let's make sure that Heidi is never EPing a period drama. We're going to keep her as far away from those scripts as possible. Mm-hmm.
1: She doesn't get to get a gig at Masterpiece Theater. Never. Sorry about it. Ever. Are there black people in Game of Thrones? Listen, okay. Oh wait, there's two. Let me tell you. A and few. they're together. There are
3: two, but it took a while for us to get there. <laughs> One doesn't One. have a penis. Yes. Yes. He it is was cut a, off. He is the unsullied. Yes. <laughs> so, it took a while to get those folks. And I was like, hey girl, natural hair. But prior to that, the very first season when Game of Thrones rolled out it took a while for me to stick with him when the only people of color that showed up was the Drago folks in the tribe oh, and right. they were just sort of like trying to kill people and I was just like this is this how we're gonna portray people mm-hmm. of color in this show maybe I'm not gonna watch they
2: grunt and ride horses pretty much that's what you get guys <laughs> like that was basically yeah the gist I think and I think our seasons.
3: introduction to him I think if I remember correctly was Daenerys being raped
2: mm-hmm. very early on and I
3: was like so the first people of color that we see this is <sighs> how it's gonna go down
1: Yeah, that was dark. I mean, the whole thing is dark, but... Yeah. (laughs) Excited for it to come back?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Read my recaps. (laughs)
3: Exactly. (laughs) And so I think what we should be doing or what we need to do is have more period dramas told from the perspectives of people of color about people of color. Is that so hard?
1: It it apparently is, according (laughs) to Hollywood, but we're going to change this with this episode.
3: We're going to listen to this and be like, you know what? They're right. Mm. We need to stop. I just want all of us to remember don't take historical dramas and television shows as fact. Do your research. If you don't see any brown faces, black faces, people of color, ask why not. Write strongly worded tweets (laughs) to your television stations (laughs) and to your filmmakers. Demand diversity, even in your period dramas,
1: please.
2: Emmanuel Jamidra, I'm going to fire some names at you. Oh, okay. Orange is the New Black. Yes. Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. Love. Jurassic World. Also, love. Yeah, you don't have to comment on that. <laughs> There's one actress and comedian who has starred in all of these things, as well as Comedy Bang Bang. She has her own podcasts. Her name is Lauren Lapkus, and very recently she appeared at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. And I wanted to go catch up with her because I think you'll like her take on comedy and her career and what she has to say. She is also improv trained and her sketch comedy work means that she is this chameleon with characters, including, I have to say, one of my personal favorites is when she plays like grumpy teenagers or like truculent (laughs) preteens. So I really wanted to play you guys this clip of her playing one of these characters, which is this sulky little girl on Comedy Central's The Meltdown and she's interrupting the hosts Jonah Ray and Kumail Nanjani.
0: Let me do it. I want to go up.
2: Shut up, (laughs) Lauren.
0: Jonah, shut up! No, you
2: shut up, Lauren, my little
1: sister. Is that your sister? Up, let me go why, up! Why aren't you in the car?
0: I, you, I got out! Oh, God, that's my little it's, sister, Lauren. Come on, let Lauren. me just stand up. I have like a 60-minute set. Okay, that's the entire season. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you're not a stand-up comedian. You've never done it before.
0: Because you never let me, please! <laughs> Carly,
2: that was so funny. So you can see I wanted to go and chat to Lauren here in San Francisco about the surprising places that her career has taken her and making it in the world of comedy. Hello, how are you? Welcome to The Cooler. Thank you. And also thanks for being cool with our amazing interview location today, which is outside in San Francisco. I demand that of everyone, so this is really great. So I mentioned Orange is the New Black. You do so much. Do you find that's the one thing that people recognize you most from? Yeah,
0: it's pretty surprising to me sometimes because I haven't been on the show in a handful of seasons, But it is like the thing that people really will come up to me on the street about. I think that show was just watched by so many people and people find it at different times because Netflix just has them all sitting there that you can be years late and still be deeply entrenched in that show. So it's been pretty cool to be a part of that because it's so far reaching.
2: And do you find that people who know you from that show are surprised to learn like all the other stuff you do?
0: Yeah, I definitely get uh, tweets from people where they'll see my characters special on Netflix where I do sketch comedy and they see like how insane I am and I think it's pretty surprising considering my character on Orange is so meek and nervous but yeah.
2: Do you also think because as I keep saying you do so much do you feel like as a woman in the entertainment industry there is this need that like not only do you have to do many things you have to be really good at
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think that people are really open to everyone trying different things, and so it allows for you to take risks. I mean, I think it's kind of a positive thing. I don't know necessarily that I feel the pressure of having to be great at every different thing, but I like feeling like comedians aren't expected to just stay in that one lane forever, and it's cool. Like, so many comedians do dramatic shows, and I love seeing them in those parts, too. I want to talk about a
2: little bit about improv and your background in that. So you came up as part of the Upright Citizens Brigade, which for folks who don't know who are listening is this iconic improv troupe. Is there something that really appeals to you about the spontaneity of your improv background and the way, like your podcast with special guest Lauren Lapkus, could you just describe for the listeners yeah. what that is and what you do?
0: Yeah, so that podcast, the, the premise of the show is that the guest is the host, so they come to me, I book a guest, and I tell them, you get to make the show whatever you want, you're the host of the show, you can be a character, you can be yourself, and you'll come up with a character for me, and you won't tell me any of it in advance, and then we just start recording, and you start your show, and you introduce me, and then I'll just be the character. You just described and that we do that for an hour I mean I love doing that because I don't have to prepare anything which is like my ideal (laughs) at this point I just love anything where I don't have to prepare it's a time saver Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. how coming Uh, yeah it's really great having that background has really helped with all styles of performance because it just allows for you to not feel the pressure of messing up and not knowing what to do and before I was doing that I got much more hung up on lines and being exactly right and I try not to do that as much anymore and just feel it a little bit in the moment and improperly helps with that.
2: You do a hell of a lot of live work like you get on stage and you perform in front of people and that's not the way everyone necessarily works these days. Can you always tell when like a collaborator hasn't had that live experience?
0: I definitely can tell when someone has had it. I feel like I'm not so aware if someone hasn't but like I hit it off really easily with other improvisers and comedians who perform regularly. I think there's just something about putting yourself out there like that that, I don't know, maybe it changes your personality or maybe we're all just like really weird people. And so we find each other on that wavelength. But I can definitely tell when someone has that background.
2: In the course of my research slash internet stalking of you, before chatting to you, I discovered that we are the same age. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which is, A, super exciting to me. 1985 babies. Thank you. It made me realize that I often indulge in this fantasy that people who are very successful at what they do, they are slightly older than me. Oh,
0: yeah. I love thinking that. And I found (laughs) out
2: you were, like, three months older. I was like, that's it. That's that's the
0: reason. There's always those people, like... I have where I find out they're younger than me, and I'm like, oh no, it's not okay. <laughs> like, I feel like, okay, Beyonce is older than me, so that's good. And then I have like, who's younger than me that I can't handle it? Like, Ariana Grande, then I'm like, okay, well, then what am I supposed to do? Like, you just can't think of it with age at all because it'll just make you feel crazy. When they're preposterously
2: younger, I find that fine, where it's like, yeah, it's ah, clearly something's going on there. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah and, pe- and especially like really young people who are super talented at something especially like musicians like they've usually been doing it since they were a little kid and I'm like well they had all of that so I didn't have that I didn't have Disney calling after me when I was five (laughs) they'd be Um, called house yeah
2: Have you had that sense in your life as your career develops that you wanted to achieve, like, X by age Y? Or do you normally think about that?
0: I I think I've kind of stopped thinking about it in terms of age. I don't know that I ever had exact numbers in my head, but I, I kind of thought, like, oh, well, when I'm an adult, I'll have done this or that or something. And... It starts to become more meaningless. I mean, yeah, I like, we're both 33 then, which I also always forget. I think I'm younger or older. Like, I never remember my age anymore. So I, like, I think I've crossed that threshold of, like, caring about it that much, and it's kind of good because... Putting that on myself always makes me feel let down. If I if I say, like, oh, I need to be here by this point, it usually doesn't go that way, so.
2: It just feels like a recipe for failure. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah.
0: Yeah, and in, in any area of your life, I don't know, I try not to say, like, I have to get this thing or else. And like, I can't control most of it. Lauren Lapkus, thank you
2: so much for being on the cooler. Thank
0: you so much. This is fun
2: well that is great advice and
3: I'm going to stop following people who are doing better than me on Instagram <laughs> starting now go on this <laughs> mass
2: unfollow spree
1: I love that that's what you got away from
2: Immediately. this interview that's like what you know. took <laughs> for
1: that Jamita's really? <laughs> over here thinking like oh I have so many people to unfollow when I get home <laughs> Also, Lauren Labkus is hilarious. Yeah, she's adorable.
2: I should mention that Lauren has a movie that's meant to be very funny called The Unicorn, in which she, this is the plot, plays half of a couple looking to open up their relationship Mm. because they've discovered that one of their parents has done the same. And it also stars Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars. And you can also watch it online in all of the usual steamy places. Mm.
3: It's the peek in the the pit, hey! The peek in the
1: pit, hey! I'm looking at my watch, and it looks like it's that time of the week. Here we go. Time for peek in the pit. Wait, you're not
2: wearing a watch. (laughs) Scam. (laughs)
1: And actually, that leads me into the pit of the week, which is a scam. To end all scams. Are you kidding
2: me? More scammers? Scammers everywhere.
1: Every corner has a scammer hiding behind it. Is this about Joanne? Joanne the lackluster Lady Gaga
2: (laughs) album? (laughs) Joanne the
3: Scammer. You've never heard of Joanne the Scammer? Oh,
1: yes. Her too. So this week's scam was committed by Aunt Becky from Full House, (laughs) William H. Macy, Felicity Huffman, and dozens of other rich people who paid crazy amounts of money to get their kids into prestigious Schools, oh. all that white privilege, all that wealth, and in some cases, all that fame, and they still couldn't get their kids mm. into these schools
3: without scamming. Still couldn't do it. Go to JC like every other kid who doesn't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Those
1: kids must be real dumb. If with all of that behind you, you still need to
2: pay people to fudge your SAT records. Mm. They had literally every head start in life still messed it up can I just say what really confuses me about this whole college admission scandal is there has been this socially accepted apparently way of the rich getting their kids into the college of their choice for years and it's just called donating a bunch of money or buying a building Anyways, you buy
3: the building and can I just insert here that I went to JC so no shade uh, <laughs> spent some time there myself but that is the American way it is you 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 know, you know, it's not a bribe per se, no. but you buy a little something, a little donation it's bribe-ish, bribe yeah. It doesn't
1: count as a bribe as long as it goes to the institution. Mm-hmm. When you bribe specific individuals, mm-hmm. then it becomes fraud. So like you said, this is nothing new. Rich people have been gaming the system for centuries with large donations. Here's a building. Let my kid binge drink here is the vibe. (laughs) That's pretty much it. (laughs) Or getting in because you're from a legacy family or simply having enough money to take advantage of things like SAT prep Mm -hmm. or tutors, things that get your kid ahead. Not everyone is that lucky. And to me, it's kind of wild that in our culture, we spend a lot of time talking about affirmative action Mm. in a negative way. Exactly. And these scams are going on all over the place and some of them are codified and accepted, like Mm. we said, with the buying of the buildings and like that doesn't count. It's just what you
3: do if you have money. So for those of us who don't know, break it down because I saw the headline, but I don't know the details. What were they doing exactly?
1: Okay, well, I will tell you. A specific egregious example, Hmm. the example of Felicity Huffman of Desperate Housewives fame and her husband, William H. Macy. Who was
2: not named, may
1: I say. He is not. And I cried sexism. But then (laughs) someone cried back at me and said, well... He is not indicted because they didn't have enough evidence, direct evidence, to pin on him. He was coordinating something for one of their daughters that didn't end up happening. (gasps) But it happened for the other daughter, and Felicity was the mover and shaker on that. So here's the deal. They took advantage of this rule that allows disabled people to take their tests alone. Oh, So they were like, hey... Our daughter needs to take this test solo, not with a bunch of other kids. And we need uh, to be responsible for figuring out who the proctor of that exam will be.
3: It's called an IEP, Individual Education Plan, and mm. kids who have ADHD or they have right. trouble like doing taking tests in like a regular classroom setting, they can get special accommodations to make sure that the test is fair for them.
1: And even if their kid does have some kind of disability or ADHD or whatever, they still leverage that accommodation to have personal gain in some way. They ruined it for everyone. So they paid the proctor $15,000 to help her or like fudge the score or what? whatever. And it gets worse. They marked that $15,000 as a charitable donation to fund educational programs for disadvantaged youth when it didn't do that. And they got to write it off their taxes. So they pretended to care about poor people. That is positively Trumpian. Clearly they thought their kid was
3: disadvantaged and that's what they felt that, yeah. That's
1: a Hmm. dumb kid. Of
2: all of the celebrity couples for this to come out about, I just kind of had this impression of saintliness from those two. So Felicity's in cuffs in custody right now?
1: They went to her house and were like, come with us. And she was like, yeah, I did some dirt.
3: (laughs) Imagine telling that story in jail. Why are you in?
1: Right? Yeah. Mm. I was like, well, my kid couldn't take a test. <laughs> so. No,
3: I'd embellish it. I'd say I killed someone. <laughs> and, this is, and this is where the mom guilt, like being able to flip stories on your kid. I'm in here because of you. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do the right thing
1: God for you. And here I am, prison. On average, these families paid anywhere between 200000 and $6.5 for the services of falsifying scores and records. Mm. That is wild, I'm just
3: left wondering, do my parents love me? You know what I'm wondering, though? Having been a person of color in college, you kind of get those looks when people are like make assumptions that you're here because of affirmative action. Right. Now I'm just like, hmm, every privileged kid, I'm going to be like, hmm, are you here because your mama paid the proctor?
1: (laughs) Was your mama on Full House? (laughs) (laughs) Also, paying the proctor
2: sounds like such a dirty euphemism, but I love
1: it. (laughs) This also brings up the idea of like the same people that keep trudging out this aphorism of pull yourself up by your bootstraps Mm. are the people who are being pulled up by their inherited wealth or a family name or white privilege. And that also goes to underline the fact that meritocracy is pretty much a myth Hmm. at this point. Like you can work your ass off and Aunt Becky from Full House's daughter is gonna steal your spot (laughs) because her mom paid the right person or was in a random television show from two decades ago. It is wild. Pit of the week to all those people.
2: They could have had it all. They did have it all, and they still couldn't get into school. Try again. Rolling still in the mess it up. Can I just confess something? I didn't know why Aunt Becky was trending. I just thought it was like because they looked like Becky's. Because <laughs> I never watched Full House. We didn't get it across in the in the homeland. You thought the barbecue lady was bad. I thought it was. I was like, yeah, they do look like Becky's, don't they?
1: Wow. I'm yeah. Glad we had this moment. She. Played the wife of John Stamos on Full House. God damn yes. it. There are shirts already trending that say free Becky. And I'm like, don't free her. No. She's fine. Wow. Leave her there. All right. Let's move on to the peak
3: of the week. Oh, hey. Happier times.
1: All right. I promised at the beginning of the show that I would walk you guys through this bonkers plot of this Britney Spears musical. OK. So it is a jukebox musical in the vein of Mamma Mia. Seems fine. Britney Spears has a vast catalog. Cool. Said musical is titled Once Upon a One More Time. See what they did there. I see what they did there. Yeah, see what they did there. It will be about Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and Rapunzel. Okay, this is where I start to get a little <laughs> lost. Like, what? That's well, random. why are they there? I don't know, but we're along for the ride. The four princesses are in a book club. We just had a movie about four women in a book club. Starring Diane Keaton and Shane Fonda. (laughs) I wanted it to be better, but I still stand because older women can't get gigs in this economy. So they are bored of the only book they have to read, which is The Grimm's Fairy Tale. So they wish for another book. And lo and behold, a fairy godmother appears and grants them their wish in the form of Betty Friedan's feminist classic, The Feminine
2: Mystique. Are Mm. you kidding me? Okay. What <laughs> the fuck? Like, what is going on? Is this a cheese <laughs> dream? Yes. Did Why? someone eat too much edam and then?
1: It was either eating too much cheese, or I thought it felt more like fanfic written by a woman's studies major who took acid while watching the Disney Channel. Mm. That, like, sounds right. that sounds about right. Going about right. I
2: mean, also have they not heard the cooler episode from several years ago, in which you make a very convincing case that? The Little Mermaid is, in fact, based on Britney's life. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? I forgot that I did that. You need to get your money,
1: sir.
3: Deep yes. Cut. Deep cut.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: well, the peak of the week to me because I just got a lot richer <laughs> because this production is real and it is premiering in Chicago in October. It's still like kind of confusing to think of, OK, what does Britney Spears have to do with princesses getting woke? Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, the pairing does have promise. Here are a few connections that I've recently made where the musical does kind of dovetail with her discography. Okay, my main point from this whole thing is, if the seven dwarves don't sing whistle while you work, bitch, I'm going <laughs> yeah, to riot. you're going to go. Home. Just don't the do The opportunity it. Yeah. is right there. Right in front of you. Her song is Work, Bitch. Their song is Whistle While You Work. Mm-hmm. Put them together or else.
3: I feel like I need a Yin Yang Twins remix also. Oh, because yeah. And she not? works with them quite frequently.
1: So. Seriously.
2: Also, we've seen the economic graphs for that period of time when the song was released and people did start working. Mm-hmm. The jobs mm-hmm. went up. Hello.
1: Yep. That's all thanks to her. <laughs> thanks, Obama, as well. A little bit. But mostly Britney. Really <laughs>
3: <Yeah.
1: laughs> Toxic can easily be spun into being about a poisoned apple. Hello, mm-hmm. hello. Mm-hmm. Overprotected is basically Rapunzel's whole situation. Seriously? It's a good song. Good song. Stronger could be twisted into being Sleeping Beauty's anthem about the replenishing power of a long ass nap.
3: <laughs> Listen, I'm stronger than yesterday mm-hmm. because
1: I was just asleep for a full 25. As soon
3: as she pops up, she just goes straight into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a
1: girl, not yet a woman. Could be about any of them because they're mm-hmm. all like yeah. 14 or whatever. Yeah. And Britney also has a song called Cinderella. So yeah. there's that. After seeing all these connections, I've convinced myself, I don't know if I've convinced you or you or the um, listeners at yeah, home. I'm not going. That <laughs> this wackadoo musical will be worth it. Come on, Chibitra. Are you going to Chicago? I will let track seven from Britney's debut album answer this for me. Uh, yes,
3: I will be there. Well, you won't be alone because I'm not. <laughs> going.
1: <laughs> Speaking of amazing songs, mm. it's time for the song of the week.
2: What are we writing out on?
1: Anyone who religiously watched Roswell back in the day? <gasps> did you? Yeah, it's okay. one of
2: the few imports we got Brandon Fair Ooh. And Jason Bear. Oh, yeah. You didn't think I'd know Roswell, did you? I didn't Because <laughs> oh, you're like, Full House, what is?
1: <laughs> so the theme song of Roswell was sung by a singer called Dido mm-hmm. Yes If the name for people at home doesn't ring a bell Then they should be shamed of themselves That, mm-hmm. and also this song will probably ring the bells for you Jesus, you could not, not
2: yeah. escape that song for huge portions of my Literally,
3: childhood. Literally, 90s television theme songs were my gateway into pop music. Yeah. I was into Paula Cole, all because of Donald <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> so. it
2: does sound a bit like Paula yeah. Cole. <gasps> <gasps> Hot take, Dido ripped off Paula Cole's skis. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: maybe we should end this with a Paula Cole song. <laughs> then. I so, don't want to wait. If you manage to avoid... That Roswell theme song. There's no way you avoided the song Stan by Eminem, which she is featured on. We don't have a clip of that because, you know, whatever. But it we goes like... It. My tea's gone cold, I wonder why. Da, 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 da. Yeah. She
3: makes, she makes <laughs> depression appealing. and she's, she's able to do that. She flips it. I always thought her tears were going cold, but it's her tea. I, oh,
2: I, is I, it? I never thought it was tears. <laughs>
1: I always thought tea. You're such a Brit. Exactly. <laughs> so now that we're all on the same page... Despite most Americans losing interest in Dido's music after her sophomore album, she is still churning out albums. We're not listening to them, but Mm. they're there. And (laughs) one came out last Friday. But before we get to the song that I'm going to play, I just want it on the record that Amy Winehouse, God rest her soul, Mm. is upset that I'm talking about Dido (gasps) at all. Because when she was alive, she didn't have kind things to say about Dido. Let's listen to her thoughts on Dido.
2: Don't vote for Dido! Dido
3: will kill you! Hey you, Dido! Hey, this took a turn. Yeah, quick question, what's the Mariachi music in the background?
1: <laughs> <laughs> she was on some comedy show, and they were riding around town, and she has a bullhorn, and she's saying, don't vote for Dido, because they were up for the same award. And then that noise you hear at the very end of the sound clip is her throwing a rock at a poster of Dido while saying, I hate you, Dido.
2: Oh, wow!
1: So, Amy Winehouse is throwing rocks at Dido posters in heaven right now, but we're down here and we're going to listen to a song from Dido's fifth album. It's called Hurricanes. And I don't know if it's the nostalgia like clogging up my ears, but it's kind of good.
2: It's good enough. You have some bulls, Emmanuel.
1: <laughs> They're huge.
2: <laughs> Take it away, Dido.
1: Thanks to David Marcus, Susie Racho, and Ashley Ann Cripalm.
2: All original music is by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs.
1: If you miss us, find us on social media. I'm at Excuse My Beauty.
2: I'm at Teacup in the Bay. And I'm at Jamedra And don't forget if you want to tell us anything or ask us a question or just get something off your chest, call our hotline 415 553 2850. Bye! Bye.